Welcome to the Cheapskate Show, everybody. Today, we are going to talk about refurbished products. Great way to save money or used junk you should avoid at all costs. Plus, how to play Microsoft's hot new flight simulator for just a buck and much, much more. I'm Rick Broida, CNET Senior Commerce Editor, but better known as the Cheapskate. And joining me, as always, is the semicolon to my M-dash, Dave Johnson. Hello, Dave. I get the better end of the deal. I would much rather be the semicolon because I can be typed without entering any special character codes in a word processor. <laughs> uh, the amount of time we've spent debating before the show, which is better, semicolon <laughs> or M-dash, it's kind of embarrassing. That identifies that we're probably writers. It's something no, no one else would even care about. Does anyone even know what an M-dash is outside of the writing community? Uh, even even semicolon, I think, is probably a tough sell anymore. Oh, have you ever seen Andy Samberg and the Lonely Island semicolon song? I, I'm not sure if I have, but I was just reminded. I Didn't Weird Al do a punctuation song a couple years back that was hysterical? I don't actually remember Weird Al doing it, but you need to see the Andy Samberg one. In fact, we should probably drop a link to it in the show notes because... As a writer, I find it hilarious. All right, and I'm going to see if I can find that Weird Al one. I'll <laughs> go to link to that as well. Boy, this has really turned into a lot more about grammar than it has about money. It's now the Grammar Podcast with Dave and Rick. Welcome to the Grammar Show, everyone. All right, so let's see here. Let's let's take care of a little bit of housekeeping, Dave, before we jump into the main event. Last week, Microsoft dropped its new version of Flight Simulator, like the first one in, I don't know, a decade or longer. Did you, were you ever a Flight Simulator fan uh, back in the day? I was a Flight Simulator fanatic. Did you have like a joystick and a yoke and rudders and all that oh, stuff? Oh, absolutely. I, I had all the stuff. And I collected all the flights. I remember playing the F-16 Falcon game on the Amiga, I think. And I had printed out the user manual. It was like 200 pages worth of instructions on how to fly the plane in gory detail. It was like a second job for me because I'd go to work all day. I'd come home and then I'd study the user manual so I could fly my F-16. <laughs> wow, you were hardcore. So I think when I had an Apple IIe, and this goes back a long way, uh, Flight Simulator, I don't know if it was a Microsoft product at the time, I don't think so, uh, was one of the very first things I played on that thing, and man, I just absolutely was enthralled by it, and like you, as computing progressed throughout the years, uh, from Amiga and then to PC and so forth, I had some iteration of a Flight Simulator or a Combat Simulator or whatever. I was always more into kind of like the arcade aspects of it. I really liked, you know, the, the gunfights and the dogfighting and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, Microsoft's new flight simulator is really dazzling. Like it uses computer or satellite imagery rather and a new graphics engine and it is just remarkable. Have you installed it? Have you looked at it yet? I'm embarrassed to say this, but I don't think I have enough hard drive space left to install it. So I'm going to have to uninstall a couple of things to be able to do that. Yeah, so I guess we should just preface this by mentioning that you need a decent amount of computing horsepower in order to run the thing. Like, if your computer can run a VR headset, then you're probably in good shape. But if not, uh, you may need an upgrade in terms of processor or hard drive or RAM or video card or whatever. And I would also point out that you can't play it just with your mouse and keyboard. I mean, you can, but... 
if you don't have a joystick, and these days most people don't, you really should get even an inexpensive joystick in order to be able to really appreciate the game. Which, unfortunately, are kind of hard to come by right now. It's like as soon as Flight Simulator dropped, all of a sudden joysticks and flight yokes and all that stuff were just out of stock everywhere, and the only ones left are super expensive ones, and even those are kind of hard to come by. So, first of all, let me share my same advice from last week or the week before. Microsoft Flight Simulator is 60 bucks right now, and there's a deluxe edition and then a super deluxe edition that I think are 90 and 120 bucks. Everyone, if you can afford, if you can be patient and want to buy the game, wait. It will come down in price. And in three months, six months, you'll be able to get Flight Simulator for 30 bucks, 40 bucks maybe. So wait it out if you can. But what if I can't wait? What if I want it right now, Rick? <laughs> Which I know is exactly your thing. Like you must have it. You cannot be patient. So Dave, here's what you do. If you sign up for Microsoft's Xbox Game Pass, which sounds a little weird because we're talking about the PC here. They have a version of their Game Pass subscription service that is available for PC users, for Windows users. And you can actually get your first month for just a dollar right now. And as part of that subscription, you can get Flight Simulator. So this is by far the cheapest way to get the game Play it for a month, see if you like it, and if you do, you can actually keep that subscription going for just five bucks a month. So you can actually, you know, for however many months it works out to be, play Flight Simulator and still get a cheaper deal than just buying the game outright. You can basically play it for a year, and it'll cost as much as having bought it outright. And unless you are really a dedicated Flight Simulator person, probably within a year you'll get tired of it and won't play it anymore. Or the game itself will become cheaper, and you can just afford to then buy it outright. But, of course, as part of your Game Pass subscription, you get access to a library of, like, I don't know, like a 100 other games that you have unlimited access to and can download and play at your leisure. So that is worth looking into. But at a bare minimum, you can try out Flight Simulator for yourself for as little as a buck. See what all the fuss is about. See if it works well on your machine. And I was, I'll just admit that I was a little disappointed that there's no quick fly option. Like, I just wanted to, like, put me in a plane, put me in the air, let me look around and see this gorgeous terrain and everything. But no, there is no such option. You have to do a takeoff or a landing or pick your location and all that stuff. I was, was kind of disappointed that Microsoft didn't do that. Well, it does have the word simulator in the name, Rick. I know, but it's, I just feel like something like this should just be available for people who just want to play and just have fun and just be in the air. But Microsoft chose not to do that. So I am mad at Microsoft and not for the first time this week. <laughs> uh, okay, Dave, let us move on. Uh, speaking of games, boy, we have a lot of uh, front of show stuff to talk about today. Speaking of games, you and I were looking for some sort of fun co-op experience that we could play together. Uh, you know, I'm here in Michigan, you're out there in California, and we happened upon something that is actually free to play. So for the first time in a long time, we sat down and played a game together. We played We Were Here, which is a really, it, it's, it's actually fairly simple game. It's not super complicated, but uh, we are two people that are trapped in a mansion and trying to find our way out and the thing is, we're not together. We're physically separated. All you have is a walkie-talkie, so you can talk to the other person. And one person is finding clues, 
giving it to the other person to solve puzzles. It's kind of like if you've ever played, what's the game, Rick? Uh, Keep Talking and No One Explodes, is that the name of it? Right, where you have to defuse a bomb based on information that you're getting from others. Yeah, this also kind of reminded me of like a two-person escape room, where again, you're like physically separated within this environment, and one person says to the other, all right, look and see if you can spot that, and oh, I just found this, try doing that thing. So it's very much a, by design, a cooperative experience. I think for any two people who are looking to do some sort of co-op game together, definitely worth a look. And the amazing thing about it is it's free. This entire, I guess, first episode of We Were Here is free. There's a couple subsequent ones that are available for purchase, but there's a good hour or two at a minimum of gaming here for, for free. Also, Rick, you might remember last week we talked about how to spot fake reviews at Amazon. And I don't know about you, but I have to say I've heard from a bunch of people like friends and family who listened to that episode and were really excited about it. Like we had a bunch of conversations about it and we got some listener email as well. Yes, we did. In fact, uh, Charlene Madsen wrote to say that she approaches the whole review thing from a slightly different angle. She says, when I really want to buy something, I start by looking at the one-star reviews and try and decide if it's for some reason, like they got a lemon or they were just crabby that day. And if there aren't enough acceptable reviews in the one-star category, she moves on to the two stars and so on. She says, I never want to hear what is great with the product. I want to hear all the problems with the item. And it's easier for someone to leave a review saying that the item is great than to really tell the things that they don't like about the item. So it's almost like the the, the lower reviews are more trustworthy than all the glowing ones. I think that's a great tip. Yeah, there's a lot of logic to that. And in fact, I'm reminded of an XKCD cartoon. The comic I have in mind is a bunch of Amazon reviews of a fire detector and a bunch of five-star reviews of like, it looks beautiful, the setup is easy, installation was great, and then there's one single-star review that says, does not detect fires, house burned down. (laughs) But that said, I would still say something that I think I mentioned last week, which is look in the middle, because the one-star reviews... If somebody is just trying to harm the business or harm the product, they're going to leave a one-star review. If someone is leaving fake positive reviews, they're going to leave five-star reviews. It's the three-star reviews that I think are the most honest. That's where you get people that give balanced insights and say, well, you know, it, it did these things well, but it does this thing badly. So one thing that we neglected to mention as well is that fake review, the fake review problem isn't limited to Amazon. Obviously, if you go to a store like Best Buy or Walmart or wherever, there's always the potential that you're going to see some questionable reviews there as well. But really, Amazon is where the bulk of it happens, like because Amazon is such a huge marketplace with so many different sellers that this is where I spot what I consider to be the the most questionable reviews. So for the people who are wondering, well, you know, what about other stores? This isn't just an Amazon problem. Definitely not. But I really think that since so many of us shop so much at Amazon and rely on those reviews so heavily, that's where you need to focus most of your attention when vetting those reviews. For sure. It's a lot like the question of, do Macs have viruses? Yeah, they do. But most of the viruses are written for Windows, because that's where all the users are. 
Exactly. So, Charlene, thanks again for writing. And everyone else, if you have a question or follow-up comment or what have you, send them our way. The address is cheapskateshow at cbsinteractive.com. So, Rick, in the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about, you know, good deals on new products. But new products isn't the only way to buy tech. There's a lot of refurbished stuff out there as well. So the very logical question we want to ask ourselves is, should you buy a refurbished product? Yes, in fact, this is something I've been writing about a fair bit recently because we've been seeing deals on a lot of refurbished Apple gear and Amazon gear, laptops here and there, even things like like headphones and earphones, which, you know, when you first hear about a refurbished set of AirPods, for example, you probably are like, no, thank you. I don't want anything that's been in someone else's ears. I think that says more about you than about the product because don't you sometimes take airpods from your spouse and put them in your ear <laughs> well, that's true but but that's my spouse it's different that's like sharing a toothbrush i mean no. if push comes to shove okay all right now before we get too far down the road i think we do need to kind of clarify rick what does it actually mean for a product to be refurbished i think we, we all know kind of intuitively what it means but is there a specific definition of a refurbished product in the tech business Right. So this is a little challenging because the definition can actually differ a little bit depending on who is using it. At its base definition, a refurbished product is something that has been probably opened, like the box has been opened, and then it has been returned to the seller. So just as an example, say you buy a, a smart speaker from Best Buy. You take it home, you use it for a couple of days, you decide you don't like it, you return it. Best Buy cannot then repackage and sell that item as new. However, what they can do is they can give it an inspection. They can make sure everything works properly. They can make sure all the um, items are still there, all the accessories, the instruction manual, the boxes in good shape and all that. And then once they have done that, now this is a refurbished product that they can sell for, again, not as new, but they will usually sell it at a discounted price. So, yeah, so the definition is going to vary. For example, Apple specifically, when they refurbish things like smartphones, they actually replace the battery. You're not necessarily going to get that in any refurbished product, but with Apple, you know that a refurb phone is going to come with a fresh battery. Right. So, and we'll want to, I want to talk about phones in particular uh, in just a little bit, but yeah, so it, it really depends on which company you're dealing with and whether it's their own products or you're getting it from a third party. So Apple's a great example because, yeah, when they do a phone or I think even a tablet, they replace the battery, they replace the outer shell. It is literally as good as new from the inside out, and that includes the warranty as well. So you buy something refurbished directly from Apple, it is literally as good as getting new a new product. But if you buy that refurbished product from, I'm going to use Daily Steels as an example, because that's a company that we work with a lot and that we, we uh, share a lot of their deals on CNET and many of the products there are refurbished. So when Daily Steels buys inventory, they're probably picking it up from a different source. And so then it's a little tougher to know exactly what you're getting whether what the condition of the battery is what the condition of the outer shell of the product is like is it going to have some some scratches or some scuffs or whatever very often they will 
specify what the condition is. And a lot of times on certain sites, you'll see they'll, they'll give it a grade, like this is grade A rated or grade B rated or whatever. Here are the two key things I think you need to, to think about when looking for any kind of refurbished product. First is the battery, and we'll circle back to that in a second. And second is the warranty. Like we said, with Apple stuff, you'll get a full one-year warranty, same as new. But most refurbished products that come from third parties come with a 90-day warranty. Let me ask you, Dave, do you think that's enough? I think it is. 90 days gives you enough time to know if the product is going to work well or not. You're going to find that out in days, and then you can return the product get a refund. Do you disagree with that? No, I do tend to agree with you. Um, I mean, on paper, 90 days seems like it's, it, well, gosh, 90 days, that's only three months versus a, a whole year. But then you look at the product itself and what what is the failure rate? So if I'm buying like a, a refurbished Amazon Echo, what is there really to fail in that product? Almost nothing. No, you're right. Modern electronics, either they're going to fail right out of the box within the first few days, or it's going to take years for components to age out and fail. So 90 days, could, you know, it, there's no difference between 90 days and a year-long warranty in my book. Yeah, I tend to agree. Now, it does depend on the product. So again, if it's a product that has no battery, uh, like an Amazon Echo is a good example, that just plugs into the wall. So there's no battery to fail or to wear out. If it has no screen, <laughs> you know, I mean, the Echo Show line has a screen, of course. Um, so there's a potential failure there. But if it doesn't, then again, there's there's almost nothing that can go wrong with that product. So a 90-day warranty, even a 30-day warranty, I really think is fine to just make sure the thing works or it doesn't work. So let's just talk about phones in particular and especially the batteries because a lot of times, we talked about this before, there's a hot new phone on the market, but it's $800, $900, If you wait a while, you can save money on it. But if you're willing to choose a refurbished phone, you can really save big. Uh, you can get a phone for half or less than half of what it's sold for new. But here's the question. What is the condition of the battery? Because as we know with phones, the battery wearing over time is really one of the key motivators for anyone to buy a new phone to begin with. And so let me ask you, would you buy a refurbished phone, Dave? And if so, like how far back are you willing to go? Well, it's interesting that you ask about the phone because I think that for me, there are two factors to consider. There's the battery and there's simply the age of the phone because especially when we're talking about Android phones, older phones can't necessarily be upgraded to the latest version of the OS. So if you buy a phone that's too old, you're buying an orphan that can't run the latest software. So those two factors combined for me say, I would not even consider getting a phone that's more than a year old. I, I kind of feel like I'm in the same place as you are. Like, in other words, I would buy last year's iPhone or last year's Galaxy or whatever, because for one thing, still a great phone uh, mm -hmm. by any measure. And even if the battery has been used for a full year, which is pretty unlikely, you're still going to get a couple years of, of good life out of that phone for really a huge savings. But let's remember, too, that a refurbished phone is most likely something that has been bought and returned like within a 30-day window. So 
that's the difference between a refurbished phone and a used phone. There are plenty of places, you know, Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist and eBay where you can find used phones that are exactly that. And they may well have been used for 12 months, 18 months or whatever, and they have that amount of wear on them. But if something is refurbished, it's much more likely that it is has been purchased and returned and, again, cannot be sold as new, even if that happened six months or eight months ago. Another way to look at this is particularly with Apple products. And this isn't necessarily true for a lot of other brands, but if you buy refurbed Apple stuff, you avoid paying the Apple tax because all Apple products are more expensive than they need to be. And so if you're getting a refurbed version, you're automatically getting that 20, 30% taken right off the top. And now you're paying much more in line with what it's actually worth. Right. So the one thing I would add to that is if you go to the Apple's website and look at their clearance section, you'll find all the refurbished gear that's available at any given time. However, don't automatically assume that whatever they have available refurbished is the best deal on that particular item because we've talked about this a little bit how AirPods and Apple Watch and iPads are very often on sale these days. And so if you're able to save 12% at Apple by choosing a refurb, you might find that there's something on sale for 20, 25% off elsewhere brand new. So just again, Check the prices, like shop around. Don't just assume that Apple's refurbs are the best deal. Very often they are, but not always. And if you buy something new at 20% off, it hasn't been in somebody else's ear. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So let me, I just want to mention that since you brought it up again, uh, and I teased it a little earlier. I recently wrote a story for CNET in which I talked about buying refurbished AirPods Pro. You know, AirPods Pro, 250 bucks, no way, no how, not going to do it. But I was very eager to to buy some because the noise canceling is great. And I just, you know, we've talked about this before. I, I just like AirPods. So I found an eBay seller a very, with very, very high ratings, good reputation, that with a couple of coupon codes were selling the refurbished AirPods Pro for 168 bucks. Now, that's still high. No question. But it's more reasonable. It's almost $100 off of the regular price. So I bit the bullet. I bought them. They were classified as being grade A condition. And I really just wanted to satisfy my curiosity. What would these look like? Would they come out? Would they be in a mangled box? Would they come out with really gross looking ear tips that looked oh like they God. had been no, used before? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I was curious. So long story short, I got these things. They were pretty much indistinguishable from new. Perfect box, perfect contents. The ear tips looked like they were brand new. If they had had any use at all, I didn't know it. And so far, it's about maybe six weeks in. They're working perfectly. Zero complaints. Your mileage may vary depending on what you buy and where you buy it. But I really advise everyone all the time is that if you're looking for a product and you can find its refurbished counterpart for less Really, really give that some careful consideration because I think most of the time you're going to be happy with that purchase and you're going to save big. So last thing, Dave, are there any particular products that you would never advise buying refurbished? Yeah, there's probably two. One would be TVs because, you know, you talked about screens earlier and, you know, like, for example, does it have a screen? Well, a TV is all screen and there is such an enormous amount of 
screen estate associated with the TV that any damage or blemishes is going to be much more obvious. And I've just heard too many anecdotal stories about refurbished TVs being mangled. Either the stand is busted or the screen doesn't look right or it has dead pixels all over the place. There's just too many things that can go wrong with a TV. Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm really glad you brought that up because when you think about a TV, especially a larger one, just the process of shipping, you know, it seems like it, the box always gets mangled. And then if it's being shipped back to someplace, it's going to get mangled even further. There's just so much opportunity for damage to occur. And, you know, I've had new TVs that failed on me, you know, <laughs> just outside of warranty. So I would really, I'd be very, very careful buying um, a refurbished TV, even if it had a, a full one your warranty. I, I just don't think it's worth the potential grief. Also, note to self, my next punk band name is Opportunity for Damage. <laughs> I like that. All right. So the other product is printers. When you're talking about printers, you buy a printer. They don't work right when you buy them new. Why on earth <laughs> would I expect a refurbished printer to work well? You know, you have all kinds of problems with ink getting clogged in the nozzles and troubleshooting a printer is like conducting open heart surgery while building an airplane in midair. There's just, it's hard and it's terrible and printers are the worst. Don't buy a refurbished printer. So, Dave, let's wrap things up today. We haven't done a best under 20 in a while. And uh, recently, my, this is going to sound weird because it's barely even a tech product, but I can't help it. I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with these new breed of hands-free soap dispensers. Do you own I, one I of these things? I have noticed this, by the way, because I see <laughs> what you post on CNET. You are writing about touchless soap dispensers so frequently that I can only imagine that you own stock in every one of these companies. <laughs> well, so here's what happened. Like when the pandemic first started, you know, we were all looking for different ways that we could, you know, wash our hands more often and avoid touching things. And of course, Touchless soap dispensers have been around for a while, but all of a sudden they were scarce. Like you couldn't find one or if you could, they were going to be like 75 bucks or, or more, just like crazy expensive. And now here we are, you know, months later, there's suddenly this huge abundance of them. And they're from a hundred different companies with a hundred different brand names that you've never heard of. But what's great is that I'm seeing a lot of them priced in the 20 to 30 dollar range and this is on amazon mostly but every once in a while you'll see one pop up uh for sale for 15 dollars or even 10 dollars and so i've had the chance to test drive a couple of these really kind of cheapy ones and i have to be honest so far they're working pretty well and so i just thought it would be fun to kind of share links to a couple of the ones that i i again i've only tested literally a couple so I can't say for sure that the cheapie that you buy is going to work well, but the couple that I've been using in my house for the last month or two have been working pretty well. Do you, do you have one of these devices or do you feel like it's kind of silly and pointless? No, I like the idea of it, but I don't have one. And maybe I'll take the plunge and I'll get one of these cheapies because I like anything that's either wireless or I don't have to touch it to make it work. Yeah, anything that's battery powered. Yeah, it would be uh, even better if I could say... Alexa, dispense soap, and I just hold my hand under it. Yeah, so, uh, and I'll just say, legitimately speaking, you know, in our house, we've always been fans of the foaming soap. You know, that stuff gets expensive. You know, it's it's 
usually like four bucks for, for a bottle of foaming soap and it doesn't last particularly long. And then you're tossing that plastic into the trash or into the recycling and, you know, it just adds up a lot over time. But here, here's an interesting little thing that I have learned with these touchless soap dispensers, which by the way, can dispense foaming soap for you. So you spend 10, 15, 20 bucks on one of these things. You actually don't have to buy foaming soap, like that specialty foaming soap to go inside of it. You can buy regular hand soap refills, which are very cheap. There's like, you can get like a 50 ounce jug of it at Walmart for like three or four bucks. And then what you do is you mix like one part of hand soap with five parts water and presto, foaming soap comes out of these dispensers. So over, you're actually going to save quite a bit of money on hand soap over the long term. So there, there really is a money saving aspect to this. And it, again, I was very skeptical at first, but it works. It works. I have tried this method in three different touchless soap dispensers and they all work perfectly. <laughs> One part soap, five parts water. You're good. So the link we're going to include in the show notes is to a model that, again, I, I haven't tried this particular one, but at the time that we're recording this, it's on sale for $18 down from like $26. It may not still be available by the time you folks get this link, but I'm including it as an example of the kind of thing that, that goes on sale very often. If you search around Amazon, you should be able to find something priced under $20. If not this one, then another one. And I really just, you know, again, I, I really recommend trying them out, if not for the cool factor, for the long-term savings on soap. So thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back next week with more deals and more money-saving advice. In the meantime, you can find daily deals by visiting cnet.com slash cheapskate and following us on Twitter at Cheapskate Blog or Facebook at Cheapskate Rick. So until next time, be kind to each other, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay cheap.